Are you looking to extend your faith in God? You're in the right place. This is a biblical and practical approach to God's words. Welcome to Be the Gospel with your host, Anthony T. Jarena. Welcome to Be the Gospel. I'm your host, Anthony T. Jarena. And I am very excited today to be sharing with you a course that I've been working on for some time called Laying the Foundation. And basically what I did is I went to God and I asked him, what did the early church understand? What did they know that allowed them to advance very fast and very far, very quickly? And I really believe that what he began to unfold and reveal to me is we make it to where it's hard for people to walk it out, to understand it, and to live it. And this shouldn't be so. This shouldn't be the case. And so one thing that God just began doing is he just began asking me simple questions. And I've been walking with God for a while, and I know when he asks, he asks you a question, it's usually because he's setting you up, right? And... This one fine afternoon, I'm sitting outside and I'm enjoying nature and just talking with God. And God asked me a simple question. He says, do you trust me? And I, I was like, absolutely, I trust you. I mean, I, I live my life. I've, I've given up everything. I've walked away from the comforts and security of this world to to proclaim the gospel and, and just go out and, and do everything that you ask of me. And then he asked me again, do you trust me? And it was so hurtful to me, you know. I was like, man, look at everything we've done and that we've given up, that we've sacrificed. And it's not about the sacrifice or anything like that. It's, it's just saying, hey, look, I, I show you my trust by what I've stepped into, what I've given up, you know. And when he asked the second time, I began to realize that wasn't what he was really asking me. And so I just answered him back with a question. I said, please explain, because I don't understand. And do I trust you? And he immediately answered me by saying, is there any lack in your life? And basically begin to just unfold this whole thing where you begin to show me that many times we have lack in our lives because we believe a lie. And a lie is anything that goes against truth. Anything outside the, the purview, anything outside the boundaries of truth is a lie. And God is absolute truth. He's perfect truth. And so what happens is things come in and they sound spiritual and they sound good and they sound amazing, but they actually go against truth. And this is a scary thing because when we go back and we, we compare it to what scripture actually says, it changes everything. And so a lot of times we have all these spiritual things that sound amazing, prayers that we pray, things we say. Things we do even that, that seem super spiritual, but they, they're basically calling God a liar. 
And so when we return back to the foundation, the foundation of the chief cornerstone of Jesus Christ, you're going to begin to see what they understood, what the early church understood that made them so effective. And I pray that this blesses you as much as it's blessed me and it's allowed me to see the fullness of Jesus Christ on a regular basis. So hold tight. We're about to begin a journey. Is the foundational thing of what they understood and what they knew at that time. And so as God began to just reveal this to me, he, he really began exposing things in my own heart, in my own life, where I was actually contradicting what his word said. And it's very scary because a lot of times we get so focused, we get so caught up in churchianity that we, we begin to miss the simplicity of the gospel. We begin to miss everything that he made very easy. And we make it so complicated. Be the gospel with your host, Anthony Teacherina. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Be the gospel with your host, Anthony Teacherina. Welcome back. Um, we're going to start off with the section called Exposing the Lie. And oftentimes it's hard for us to find truth without confronting the issues that prevent us from saying truth. And it's in the confrontation that we begin to see what is actually truth and what is not. So if we never challenge something, we never know what actually is there. We can see this in 1 Thessalonians 5. Uh, I believe verse 12 or verse 13, it says, test everything and hold on to what is good. See, we're supposed to test it. We're supposed to see whether it is truth, whether it's of God. We're supposed to see whether it is something that we're supposed to be allowing in our life or not. And a lot of people, they never find truth because they never look for it. They never challenge because a lot of times we can carry a fear of the unknown, a fear of, of our worst fears being confirmed, right? But when we're willing to say, you know what, I just want truth. I don't care about anything else. I'm willing to challenge the issues and hold on to what is good and truly find truth because ultimately that's what we're after. And, <clears throat> excuse me, so <clears throat> one of the things that will allow you to find truth is just being humble. And in this section, we're going to expose the lie and what has resulted from the lie. And I call it the lie because it's the one thing that still echoes through eternity, even till this day. And it's going to change. Like once you begin to, to, to hear what I'm saying, you're going to realize exactly what the lie is. And the lie is... Basically this, that we are not complete in Christ Jesus. And if you think about that for a second, it means that it contradicts what God's word says, right? I mean, just think about it. 
what is it conveying that you're not complete in Christ Jesus? And so when you begin to, to think about the lie, you begin to, for me, I begin to think, oh my gosh, like, this is what has been peddled in the church it, through marketing, through books, through, through all these different things that you're not complete, you're not complete, you're not complete, you don't know enough, you don't, you don't have enough experience, you don't have blah, 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 over and over and over. And I can tell you this contradicts what God's word actually says because the truth is he does make you complete. So let us free ourselves from the lie that may walk in the fullness of Jesus Christ. Because this is what's going to enable you. It's going to allow you to blossom and open up into what Jesus has had for you all this time. Okay? So the lie hasn't changed one bit in all these years. All the way back to Genesis in the garden. And it surrounds us. And it's in everything of the fallen world. And this is not your reality. But exposing it helps you distinguish to begin to distinguish what is your reality through Christ and what isn't. See, if we stop there and we just take time to just think, what is supposed to be our reality in the kingdom of God? Because we're no longer in the kingdom of the devil, the kingdom of darkness. We've been translated in the kingdom of his beloved son, right? So we see it's a kingdom of light, it's a kingdom of health, his kingdom of a provision of wholeness, holiness, goodness, righteousness, wisdom, understanding, even knowledge. All these things and much, much more come together in, in the kingdom of God. And, and so we're going to see that. Okay, so let's just look at the life from the beginning. Starting in Genesis chapter three, verse one through seven, it says in the beginning, well, it doesn't say in the beginning. I'm saying in the beginning. Now, the serpent was more crafty than any other beast in the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say, You shall not eat of any tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it, lest you, you die. But the serpent said, to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the, the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, look at this, to make one wise, she took of its tree, uh, sorry, she took of its fruit and ate and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed figs, uh, fig leaves together and made themselves loincloths. Now, in, the, in this dialogue of, of the serpent and Eve, you'll find that, that Eve wasn't absolutely sure what God said. And we can see it. We can see where she says, you shall not even touch it lest you die. So she wasn't 100% positive on what God said. She, she had the idea, but for some reason she didn't know 
word for word. So it was like a paraphrase, you know? And if the blame is Adam's or not isn't important. What's important is the result. So what did God actually say? If we go to Genesis chapter 2, verse 16 through 17, it says, And the Lord God commanded men, saying, You shall... You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, this is very something very interesting to note. And I call these gold nuggets. And, and we've been placing these throughout the, the course and out throughout the lesson. And you're going to see um, that they're very, very good and, and something to hold on to. So something to pay attention to. And so the golden nugget from this is the devil seems to always sway those who aren't absolutely sure of what God has said. Think about that. Think about every aspect of your life. If we don't hold on to God's word, to his promises, then we're swayed very easily. Right? So let's continue. Look at what the serpent responds to Eve. Because wait for it, because here comes the lie. It says, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die. So he knew exactly what God said and stated the exact opposite. Because God said, you will surely die. And the serpent is setting himself up as an authority figure by saying, you shall not surely die. For God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So he's saying, in essence, God is holding back from you. You're missing something. Now understand, if we look at this, look at Adam and Eve and, and the beautiful harmony and relationship they had with God. In all honesty, we have no idea how long they walked with God. It could have been days, it could have been minutes, it could have been hours. Um, it could have been years, it could have been centuries, it could have been millennia. We don't know. Well, honestly, we don't know. But here's the thing. Is the serpent comes and accuses God of holding back. something from Adam and Eve. They had perfect relationship in the, in the garden. Right? Well, I'm getting ahead of myself, so let's just continue. So let's break it down a little bit. The serpent directly contradicts what God says. Right? Lest you die. Is what Eve said. But the serpent said, you will not surely die. And that's the exact opposite of what God said, right? It says the serpent was correctly correctly speaking, the exact opposite of what God said because he is a liar and the father of lies. And Jesus said he lied in the beginning. Here we go. There's the lie. That's why I call it the lie. Right? God said, you will surely die. And the devil said, you will not surely die. Now the serpent convinces Eve that God is holding back from them. He, he comes and he speaks. He speaks one thing that causes her to distrust the very nature and character of God whom Adam and Eve have been walking in relationship with. She didn't commit the sin when she heard the news from the serpent. She committed the sin when she partook of 
believing and trusting in what the serpent said and Adam also. Them eating the forbidden fruit was an action that showed that Eve believed the serpent over God. She trusted the serpent's word over God's word. Therefore, Eve had more faith or more trust in what the serpent said than what God had said. And same thing with Adam. So what is the lie? God, and this is truth right here, okay? God had given Adam and Eve everything. They had companionship, they had riches, they had relationship with God, they had dominion over everything, innocence, and many other things. And they chose to trust the devil because the devil said, God is holding back from you. The serpent told them, they are missing something. You don't have it all yet. God hasn't trusted you with everything like he, you think he has. They acted upon the line that led to them having nothing at all. And they became a partaker of the missing. And I'll get to that in a second. And it says, and it, it became, and it, it, it started a perpetual cycle into more and more things in their lives over time. So they, be, they, be, they partook of this missing and it became a self-perpetuating cycle of missing more and missing more and missing more and missing more. Right? So other examples that we have of the lie, and, and we can see this, is in, in Hebrews 11. Right? And we also have the example of how they trusted God and they overcame the lie. So we look at Abel, Abel Hebrews 11.4, and we can go to Genesis chapter 4 as well. How did Abel overcome the lie? And this is a great question. You find that if, he, if we honestly look at Genesis 4, Cain, meaning acquired, is the one who is fulfilling God's word of the curse by tilling the ground, right? When you go back and you look at the curse in Genesis 6, it says, by the sweat of your brow, right? So you look at everything that he's doing. He's tilling the ground. He's, he's fulfilling the curse. While Abel, which his name means empty, decided to go the opposite direction by watching over livestock and entrusting the future of that livestock to God by offering the firstborn. The curse was a result of Adam's missing. He partook of the lie that he was missing something and that became his reality. That became his curse. So Abel did not perpetuate the curse because he chose to obey God's directive. Abel trusted God to provide for him through watching over the sheep, which are God's already. And you can see this in Psalm 50, verse 10. And here it says, For mine is every animal of the wild wood and domestic beasts by the thousands on my mountains. It says the curse was fulfilled by Cain who actually walked it out when he chose to do his own thing. Isn't that interesting, right? It says Abel 
offered a more pleasing sacrifice, and we see that in Hebrews 11.4, Genesis 4.4, Cain was unrighteous in action and offering, Genesis 4.7, Abel's works were righteous and Cain's were evil, 1 John 3.12. This is, and this is something to note, you have to realize that trusting God leads to the opposite of lacking or missing This is why through the Old Testament, God kept revealing His nature to the Israelites to demonstrate to them who He is. That He is completely trustworthy. He declared over and over to them, I am healer. I am provider. I am righteous. And that is why He is the great I am. And we can look at Abraham we can look at uh, Enoch, Noah, Sarah, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, and so much more. And all of them, they encountered these issues where they had to decide if they were going to trust in the missing, if they were going to trust in the lack and the depravity, or they were going to trust in God and His promise and His plan. And they trusted God instead, and, and he, be, he came through for them every single time. He became real to them in every situation that he fulfilled because he honored the trust that they had in him. And it's 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 beautiful. It's it's amazing. For instance, God is provider. Here's a gold nugget. Everything you have is because he ultimately provided it on the earth he created. We may transform it into something we use every day, but the basic elements are all created by Him. All finances or benefits in your life are all His. You become a steward of it because it belonged to Him way before you came into this world. So, you have to ask the question, did Jesus encounter the lie? And this is an obvious yes. In fact, we see that He encountered the lie not just once but multiple times and so when we dive into this you're going to see how Jesus overcame the lie it was his trust in God's word as a standard he used God's word as a standard that was how he was able to overcome the lie because he knew that when God says something it's for eternity he's not saying it for that moment but when God speaks, it echoes through eternity forever. And it doesn't return back to him void, right? It accomplishes and, and does everything he sends it out to do. And that's just who he is. It's his nature. It's, it's how he thinks, right? So he says, you can only trust someone according to the degree that you know of their nature or character. God is honest. He cannot lie. His word is trustworthy because, um, because the one who spoke it is integral. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to Matthew 4, verse 1 through 11, and we're going to look at this encounter Jesus has with Satan in the wilderness, okay? So starting in verse 1, remember this is Matthew chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. And after fasting 40 days, in forty nights he was hungry, and the tempter came to him. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. 
And he answered, referring to Jesus, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and set him on the pinnacle of the temple. And he said to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you, and on their hands they will bear you up, lest you strike your foot against a stone. And Jesus said to him, Again it is written, You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And again the devil took him to a very high mountain, showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to them, All these I will give you, for I will, if, if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, Be gone, Satan. For it is written, You shall worship the Lord your God, and him only shall you serve. Then the devil left him, and behold, angels came and were ministering to him. So let's look at these questions the devil asked Jesus. He says, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. He was hungry. And he wouldn't have been able to be tempted by the devil unless it was an actual temptation. Right? So we can see that this is something that Jesus was actually experienced was, was this hunger. He'd been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. And so the devil was saying, is, you are missing food. Aren't you hungry? All the while challenging who Jesus is. And so what he, the devil's really telling Jesus is, do you know who you really are? Think about this for a second. Right before this moment, we have this beautiful imagery of the, bap the baptism of Jesus Christ by John the Baptist. And it says, the Holy Spirit descended upon him like a dove, and a voice spoke from heaven, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. So now the devil, the first thing out of his mouth is, if you are a son of God. And Jesus' response is, solely, is based solely on God's word as he refuted, he refused to contradict God's word. Look at this. Beautiful. Right? Because you see that what, what Jesus said. For it is written. Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So let's look at question number two. If you are the Son of God. So here he is challenging the very identity of Jesus again. Throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command His angels concerning you, and on their hands they, they will bear you up, unless you strike your foot against a stone. See, the devil is challenging Jesus and saying, You are missing the protection of God. And Jesus responds simply that it would be testing God and you aren't to test God. Right? You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. And as I'm reading this, I'm like, man, this is, this is very interesting. This is amazing. This encounter is the devil trying to present the same lie that he fooled Adam and Eve with, or even Adam, doesn't matter what order you put him in, 
But now, he's trying to use the same lie on Jesus. But look, by the third time, he's given up trying to co- prove anything or, or um, question the identity of Jesus, should I say. And it says, all this I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. And so in essence, what he's telling Jesus is, you are missing the kingdoms of the earth, but if you bow down and worship me, you can have them all. And the devil is now trying to get Jesus to become subservient to him. Jesus wasn't having it, and he said, only the Lord God do you worship and serve. See, the devil is trying to get Jesus to contradict himself to prove something. And we can see this when he's challenging the very identity of Jesus. If you are the Son of God. See, here's the thing. And something that really just rang out, and this is definitely a gold nugget, is that God, or as as Jesus, right? Jesus didn't have to prove anything to the devil. He knew exactly who he was. He didn't do it to prove anything to the devil. Because then he would have fell right into the devil's trap. But he already knew he was, who he was. That he is the only begotten Son of God in whom he is well placed. In whom God is well placed. God has already spoken it forth, therefore it is it is so. So Jesus believed who God said he was and is. And Jesus is the word of God made flesh. And if he contradicted the word, if Jesus had contradicted the word, then he would cease to exist because he would no longer be true. Think about that for a second, right? So here's another golden nugget. Pride has to prove oneself. While humility knows and does not have to prove anything. Be the gospel with your host, Anthony T. Jarena. We'll be right back. Back to the show. Be the gospel with your host, Anthony T. Jarena. So, if we go back 40 days prior, God the Father spoke from heaven saying, This is my beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. The devil comes in and says, did God really say, or if you are the son of God, or did did God really mean it? He kept challenging Jesus to see if he believed God's word and what had been spoken over him. How many times has the devil used this against you? God's word impacts you and hits your heart, even your spirit. During the week, or sometimes a moment later, the devil comes to say, Does that really apply to you? Or did God really say? The devil wants you to to still take part in the missing. Now here's a note. The devil wasn't just attacking Jesus' identity. He was challenging God. And challenging the fact that he is a good God. A good father. The devil was challenging if Jesus trusted God. Jesus resolved within himself to stand with God. We know he knew 
and knows God's nature and character. We know this because Jesus explicitly says, nobody knows the Father except for he who has come down from heaven, referring to himself. This seems like a hard temptation, but in reality, when we look at both the devil's character, his track record, and we look at God's character and his track record, we could make a simple choice, an easy choice of God every single time. And this is something I'm going to challenge you to do, is sit down with scripture and write everything you know about the devil in one side. For instance, he's a covenant breaker. He's a liar, right? That should get you started. Now, on the other side, you have God and his character and his nature. And he is truth. He is a covenant keeper, even to a thousand generations. So you make a list of both and you can look at it and you can compare it and say, hmm, oh, this is a very simple, easy decision to make. And then you, you just go with God and you just choose. I'm telling you, you will choose him every single time unless you're just a sucker for punishment. Now, here's another gold nugget. It says the, the attacks of the devil may, uh, the attacks the of the devil many times goes after the nature and the character of God and our trust or faith in him. And so this is very interesting. Now, there's a danger. We can say it was just a mental issue, right? This was all just in the mind, that they believed they were missing something only. Then why would Jesus need to come die on the cross? See, if it was just something that just impacted because of a decision or a thought, then all God would have to do is change people's thoughts, right? But it's so much deeper. It's the very nature, it's the very core of Adam and Eve. That's why when sin came in, it tainted the very nature of man because he became subservient to the devil and it impacted him and infected him with sin, which we're about to get into is the meaning of sin, right? And I'm telling you, when I saw this, it began to blow me away. And it says, it is the action of the missing that is the issue, not just the thoughts of the missing. Okay? So, why do I keep saying missing? So, let's look at 1 John 2, 1. It says, little children, and I'm, I'm reading from a direct translation, a literal translation of Greek from 1 John 2, 1. And it says, little children... My, right, my little children, these things I write to you, that ye may not sin. And if anyone should sin, a paraclete we have with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Now, the word for sin in Greek, in Koine Greek, is harmatono. And the meaning of it, watch this, is missing, to miss, error. And then I looked it up in, in Old Greek, I mean, Old Hebrew as well, sorry. And it's chata. And guess what it means? It means to miss. So sin 
It means to miss. It means to lack. Be led astray. So when you see what I've been telling you is we partake of the missing because of the lie. We begin to believe the lie and we begin to perpetuate the lie and we enter into the cycle where we're constantly missing more and more and more because we believe the lie instead of truth. So if you realize it or not, you have been programmed by the world and religion of this exact same thing. The devil is using them to influence you intentionally or unintentionally to say you are missing something. You're lacking power. You're lacking anointing. You're lacking relationship or intimacy or something that you can't figure out because God is hiding himself. It's all a part of the lie. Look at worship music. Look at sermons and conferences you go to or listen to. Do they tell you that Jesus or what Jesus has done or, or told you or telling you what you are lacking or missing? It is calling down is it calling down the Holy Spirit that is already on the earth? Think about that. How many people have done that? I, I've done it. I'm not excluding myself. Like I said, God was nailing me with this stuff before I could even present it to anyone else. And it says, or, or what about power or anointing or waiting on the Lord? Oh Lord, I'm waiting on you, right? And in truth, he's waiting on us. And if they are telling you what you are missing and lacking, then they are they are all part of the lie, and we will be exposing these lies in the next sections. Now, let's keep it simple, saints. If you are a believer in Christ Jesus and he is in you, then you are missing nothing. You have been made whole through Christ Jesus as you have been grafted back into the source of life. You have all of God in you. God is not missing. Sin has no part of God. Therefore, you are missing nothing. Look at this. John 15, 1 through 10. And I'm sure you've read this a thousand times. But with this understanding, read this now with me. It says, I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean because of the word I have spoken to you. Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him... He it is that bears much fruit, for apart from me you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers, and the branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and are burned. And if you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask whatever you wish and it will be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commands, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. 
These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. So here's a gold nugget before we continue this. Pruning takes away all excess parts of the plant that keeps the plant from growing in the right direction and producing good fruits. So let me clarify this. You realize you need a savior because you couldn't pay for your sins. You couldn't pay for your missing. You couldn't break the cycle in and of yourself. And that's why we needed Jesus to come in and, and accomplish that. You agreed with God that you are missing, that you are in sin and you repent of it and you turn away only by the grace of God because you're turning to Christ and you're deciding to trust and believe in Christ Jesus and are now forgiven and plus grafted into the tree of life, who is Jesus Christ. So let's look at the word reconciled. To change a person from hostility or enmity to friendship. That is the biblical definition. God has restored you to, or us, to a perfect relationship between us and Him. Before we were believers, we were in pure sin, we were missing. We were partaking of the cycle of missing because we weren't connected to Him. It was our nature before we received Jesus. Romans goes in and it says we were slaves to sin. We couldn't help but do sin because it was our master. It says as believers we are now pure righteousness because He is in us and we in Him. Missing cannot exist with God since He is perfect. In 1 John 3, 5, go and read it. If we were exposing to Him, we would have ceased to exist because, uh, sorry, if we were exposed to Him in a sinful state, we would have ceased to exist because His nature would naturally destroy us because he is whole and we were missing. And you can see Exodus 33:20 when Jew, when God talks to Moses, uh, Numbers 18:22. See Jesus has reconciled us to himself. God in Christ was reconciling the world to himself. Reconcile is not a word we use very often. At least not anymore, right? What is more important is having a biblical definition of the word reconcile. In this Greek word, katalasso, literally means to change, according to the LSJ lexicon. That's a Lyndall Scott and Jones lexicon. It's a great tool. God has changed our relationship by not holding our trespasses against us and by Christ who brought us into himself for, for all those that repent and trust in Jesus Christ. So all this happens through the condition of repentance and trusting in Christ Jesus, right? So God gives us an example in 1 Corinthians 7 verse 11 with marriage. The estranged wife can be brought back into relationship with the husband. They can be reunited. A very simple way to, to view reconcile is to think reunite. All differences have been put away and you have been reunited back to God in Christ, and this is amazing news. 
2 Corinthians 5, verse 18 and 19, it says, All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation that is in Christ. God was reconciling the world to himself. Sorry, that is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Then he takes it a step further. He makes us one spirit with himself, 1 Corinthians 6, 17. But he who's joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. Now we are his representatives on the earth, and he is in his glorified state, so and so are we on this earth. And we can see this in 1 John 4, 16-18. And so here's what it says. It says, So we have come to know and to believe the love that God has for us. God is loving. And whoever abides in love abides in God. And God abides in him. By this is, perfected, is love perfected with us. So that we may have confidence in for the day of judgment, because as he is, also are we in this world. It doesn't say heaven, it says in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out all fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. Now 2 Corinthians 5.20 says, Therefore we are ambassadors of Christ, as though as though God were making his appeal through us, we implore you on the behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. So we are his representative. Comfort in the world and false securities causes fear. Comfort in Christ causes peace and joy. It is not Jesus plus. It is simply Jesus Christ is all. Everything points back to Jesus. Jesus is the one who makes us complete. And we're about to get in that in the next couple of sections. We're going to talk about what salvation actually means and how it applies to your life. When you realize that God has made you completely whole, you're missing nothing, you have everything, you have anointing, you have power, you're not lacking anything because He has made you complete, He has made you whole because you are attached to Him, you have all the nourishment, you have perfect relationship, you have everything you need to succeed. He has set you up for success, not failure. He's not holding anything back. He has given you everything you need in Christ Jesus. So let me pray for you, just to close this out, just to close this section. Father, I thank you. I thank you that you have made us whole. That we're no longer operating from a nature that is tainted with missing and the cycle of missing and everything that entails. But you have made us complete. You've made us perfect. You've made us whole in Christ Jesus. You have made us the very righteousness of you, God. In Christ Jesus. Through Christ Jesus. By Christ Jesus. Let us understand this and, and grasp this and become, let it become an everyday part 
of our lives, of knowing who you are and what you've accomplished and what you've done that completely revolutionizes our walk with you because it's not something we earn. It's something we step into through Christ Jesus. And I thank you, Father, for the lives that you're changing and the impact that it will have through eternity. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. Thank you for joining us here on Be The Gospel. Stay tuned. Check out our next uh, podcast where I'll be going over the next section. And it is going to be awesome because we're going to begin to really start breaking down reasons for failure as a believer, embracing the answer. And then we're going to, with the, the next several sections is answering isolated scriptures And then we're going to put the spot on the lies, lies we have all prayed, right? Because they sound spiritual, but it actually go against God's word. And so thank you for tuning in and we look forward to hearing, uh, seeing you next time. Thanks so much for listening to this episode of Be The Gospel with your host, Anthony T. Jarina. For more great content and to stay up to date, visit BeTheGospel.com and on Facebook at BeTheGospelToday. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a review and subscribe. And we'll catch you next time on Be The Gospel.